It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to open up the good book to find the Savior. Um, But before we do that, I'll invite you to pray with me. God, you were God before time began and after time finished. You're eternal and self-existent. You need no help to exist. You're the Savior. And in all of your power and glory, you humbled yourself and became a man to rescue your rebellious creation so to win us to your affection. That's why we sing that song, How You Love Us. Thank you for loving us, seeing us in our spot, reaching us where we are, and telling us that our sin can be forgiven and that you can change lives. That's what you do. You change people's lives, and you give hope, and you redeem stories. And so would you please work this morning? Thank you that everything that we're doing um, and participating in is nothing short of supernatural. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name with faith. Amen. 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 Well, uh, my wife Lizzie and I have been married for um, about eight years now. It's been such an amazing, amazing thing to be a married man. Outside of um, meeting Christ himself, Lizzie has been the best thing that has ever happened to me. Um, God has written for us a beautiful story. He brought us together at just the right time and moment, and he has done some wonderful things in and through our persons and our marriage. Uh, But there was a time that Lizzie was not married in her single days. And uh, during her single days, Lizzie had a train of men trying to get after it. And so um, she's beautiful. She's godly. That all makes sense. And uh, in the Christian community, if you're unfamiliar with the dynamics of how interesting that could be, if you're a Christian woman, you're single, you're good looking, you love Jesus, and you're a single man, you better not wait another second. It's time. So uh, that's what all these guys were trying to do on this train of just trying to chase after Lizzie. And uh, there was this time way back in high school for Liz where uh, Lizzie was in high school and this, this, this younger man who was an upperclassman in college was super interested in her. Lizzie was a Christian. He was a Christian. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And so what ha- ended up happening during this time was that this guy who was into Lizzie had a friend. And this friend came up to Lizzie and said, hey, Lizzie, um, I got to talk to you. Um, I received a word from God. You can guess where this is going. Um, I'm not joking. This actually happened. Um, The guy who was super interested in Lizzie, um, his best friend came up to her and said, hey, Lizzie, something has really been in my heart. I just need to share with you. Um, Lizzie said, okay, uh, great. I'd love to hear what's going on. And and, uh, the, the kid said to Liz, God told me that you are going to marry my friend. He said that. And of course, Lizzie was really taken back, right? Like, uh, what do you even say to that? Number one, that's kind of intimidating. And number two, what do you say to somebody who says to you, God told me? You can't debate that. You can't talk about that. It's, it's pretty much case closed, end of story, decision is made. Super thankful Lizzie wasn't attracted to that man, um, that that ended up not working out because here I am, praise God for that. But this uh, prophecy, so to speak, spoken from the mouth of this young man, did not come true. And so what do we do with that? I found a post on Facebook this week with a similar idea of someone receiving a word from God in a form of a dream. I'm going to read it for you, and my intention is not to create humor. 
It's not to look down or cut this person who thinks about receiving God's word this way, but rather I just want to read it to you so you can understand how some people interpret receiving or hearing from the voice of God. This is what this person said. Prophets give birth to prophets. Last night I had a dream that I was operating within the CIA. Maybe it means Christ Intelligence Agency. This morning I woke up and asked my daughter if she had any dreams. She said, yes, I had a dream that I was helping several three-letter intelligence agencies with their spy equipment, such as night vision and other vision and hearing equipment. And so I asked her what she thought. She said, maybe God is going to use me to help the church see and hear and discern strategic and important revelation from the Lord. I said to her, exactly, young prophet. Isn't it amazing to see how as a parent that when we sow seed into our children, how God miraculously brings the increase that bears fruit according to its kind. Be encouraged what you sow will grow by God's grace. And so the idea here is that this person was a prophet and was seeking to pass on or invest this gift of prophecy to his or her child. And uh, the only problem with this idea that we see here or are listening to is that you can't find this anywhere in the scriptures. So why would I bring this up? Well, the reason why I bring this up this morning, this idea of hearing from God, is because I love the church as many of as as many as uh, as well as many of you do, and I can't begin to describe to you the type of things that I have both personally experienced and the type of stories that I have heard over the years regarding the type of confusion and damage, and manipulation, and abuse, this idea of hearing from God has caused in the church. People say they hear from God, that God spoke to them. Others have to submit to that, while all at the same time, the gospel is deprioritized, and the perfection of God and his will found in the perfection of his written and inerrant and inspired word is overlooked and or undervalued. Many of us here come from different church backgrounds and have different stories from different denominations. And my guess here is that many of us at one time or another have seen, heard, or experienced things regarding this topic of hearing from God. So I want to talk about it. And the good news I'd like to show you this morning is that our God indeed is a speaking God. But in order for us to hear from him, we need to know how he speaks, to whom he speaks, and what he longs to say. And the blessing that we are presented with this morning that we have in front of us is his word, a.k.a. the Bible, to tell us exactly how. If you have a Bible or cell phone, please feel free to turn that on or open to um, Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to be in the first three verses of Hebrews this morning, and if you're following along, I titled this sermon actually a question. And the question that I'm seeking to answer for us from this text this morning is this. Does God still speak? And if so, how? Spoiler yes, he does still speak, but I want to show you how. Three points for us this morning, if you're taking notes, are this. Number one, how God spoke in the Old Testament. Number two, how God spoke in the New Testament. And number three, how he speaks today. How God spoke in the old, how God spoke in the new, and how he speaks today. We're going to begin our time together by reading the text up front. Again, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 
through three. The author writes these words. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he had spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, his son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the word of God. My brothers and sisters, we're super thankful for it. We're going to move now to point number one, and I'd like to show you how God spoke in the Old Testament. Here we are. We're in the book of Hebrews now, and um, the first chapter of it. And as we begin, what's important for us to keep in mind is that the author here, although the author is um, uncertain, we're uncertain about his identity, he has a deep knowledge and understanding of the Old Testament scriptures and probably is himself a Jew. The title of the book, if you look there, is Hebrews, which is just another name for the Jewish people. And most likely, this author here, as he's writing, is writing to a Jewish Christian church. People who, as children, grew up as Jewish, but at one point or another in their story, turned to believe in Christ and as the Messiah. And so most likely what was happening during this time or in this context was that for whatever reason, perhaps persecution, perhaps pressure, per perhaps opposition from life, um, these people in the church were thinking about giving up faith in Christ and turning back to their Jewish roots. And so this is what the author here is seeking to do. He's seeking to pre prevent them from turning back to Judaism and forsaking Christ. And so here in his opening words, he takes them back into the Old Testament, then with the intention to bring them back into the new and show them the supremacy of Christ. He begins and says these words, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The whole intention of this entire book, the author's intention, the whole thing is to reveal the supremacy of Christ. Jesus as superior to the prophets, Jesus as superior to the angels, Jesus as superior to the old covenant, and faith in Jesus as the superior way to the new. But before getting to Christ, what this author does here is take us back to examine the voice and message of God found in the old. In other words, he's trying to um, remind us of how and in what ways God spoke in the New Testament in order to get us to what we have in the New. At many times and in many ways, from the very beginning of the Bible, the biblical story, what we have as readers before us is the fact that our God is in speaking God. Genesis chapter 1 begins... And what we see displayed in God is God creating the world through the power of his word. Do you remember what it said? Let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God said, let there be land. And what happened? There, there was land. Then God said, let us make man in our image. And mankind was created in the likeness and image of God. And if you continue along reading through the biblical story, what you'll see over and over again 
is that the voice of God continues to be heard. After God spoke to Adam in the garden, he spoke to Noah. After Noah, he spoke to Abraham. After Abraham, he spoke to Isaac, then to Jacob, then to David. Then we get to the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah. He spoke to Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, And he spoke to some in between, Aaron, Job. But those last names that I just mentioned there, that list, that random long list, are the prophets who are the men here, if you look, the ones that the author has on his mind. What were the prophets? Who were the prophets? That's what we need to be able to understand if we're going to understand what's happening here in this text. The prophets in the Old Testament were chosen men by God, where God then revealed to them his will, and then it was that prophet's duty then to take that message of God's will and give it to the people. But what you need to understand was, as the prophet spoke, he spoke as a mouthpiece directly from God. And prophecy in the Old Testament always had to do with God's covenant will. Either a message to God's people through the prophet to remain in covenant faithfulness or a message through the prophet for God's people to repent and turn back to covenant faithfulness through obedience. After drifting or falling away. So not just anybody could speak or function as the mouthpiece of God. You had to be appointed and inspired by God to speak authoritatively, inerrantly on his behalf. Prophets spoke on behalf of God. And do you want to know what would happen to a prophet in the Old Testament if his prophecy was wrong or did not come to pass? Deuteronomy chapter 18. They die. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that the word, that the, the, um, how how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that word from God, he has not spoken. I can't tell you how many times over and over throughout the years within the context of the church, I have heard people say, God spoke to me. I got a word for you. (laughs) Whoa, bro, are you sure you want to say that? Like, this is one of the most deceptive and confusing topics and or ideas in the church today, to claim that there are prophets or some who have a special gift of hearing from God. There's one woman that I I love, I respect, I study her dearly. Her name is Nancy Guthrie. Our women are studying her this, this, um, this ministry semester at our church. To clear this topic up with the scriptures, this is what Nancy said. Many of us read these accounts of God speaking and assume that the Bible is presenting the normal experience of all who follow God, but is it? 
What we need to know is that every case of special guidance given to individuals in the Bible has to do with that person's place in the outworking of God's saving purposes. There are no instances in the Bible in which God gives special and specific guidance to the ordinary believing Israelite or Christian in the details of their own personal experience. Did you hear that? Holy moly, this is good. This is amazing news. This is freeing news. Why? Number one, because what we have before us is a promotion and a preservation and upholding of God's word, the infallible spoken truth, that it is inerrant and holy, complete and perfect. And number two, it encourages and affirms the honest, God-loving person who has, for all their life, grew up in the church, loving God, but heard people say, God has spoken to me, but for that own person, never has God spoken to them a day in their life. It helps that person know that they're no less spiritual than anyone else. That God doesn't love more spiritual people than them. Who is this for? It's for the senior in high school who is trying to discern the will of God and trying to figure out what college they're going to. It helps them know they don't have to look for a sign, a license plate, or a special shaped cloud in the sky to get a word of confirmation. That's misinformed. That's uncertain. That's subjective. Who can tell if that's true? What if it's not true and things don't come to pass? This is an encouragement for those of you who feel less spiritual than those people who say they hear from God all the time. I want to tell you that you're not inferior, that God doesn't love you any less. Listen, it's not wrong to desire to hear the voice of God. When we read the story of Job and God speaking to Job from a whirlwind, that's intriguing. When we hear and read the story of Moses and God speaking to him from a burning bush, that's amazing. We all want that, and it's amazing to want that. We're human beings. We're spiritual beings. We long to encounter the transcendent. We want a seraphim from heaven to touch our lips with a burning coal to tell us that our sins are forgiven. But God has spoken through his word. What the author is getting ready to do for us here is tell us that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God in his word and that God's new way of speaking is better than the old. And what he's doing, also not doing here, is telling us that his old way of speaking is irrelevant or wrong. It was right and good. But what we need to know primarily through this office of prophet is that when a prophet spoke, he spoke as the mouthpiece of God, authoritatively, without error, on behalf of God's people for the greater story of redemptive history. My brothers and sisters, you who think you hear the voice of God as a prophet, you who think you know a prophet, be careful. God still speaks. And we're going to get there. Praise God that he still speaks. But the age of the prophets, God has spoken. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. Do you see the word there? The present tense is speak. The past tense is spoke. God has spoke. 
our God is a God who's been speaking for generations. But to whom did he speak and about whom did he speak of coming? He spoke to the prophets about the Messiah coming on his way. This was the goal of the prophets, to anticipate the coming of the the Messiah to God's people at large. There's one man named Michael Kruger. He's a theologian, a, a professor. This is what he said. This is how we need to understand the authors of the Old Testament. It is a single coherent story that ends in a cliffhanger, a story that needs an ending. God spoke to his people, and the cliffhanger is his promise to send a redeemer. For when Jesus came, he revealed that cliffhanger. But the author here is speaking to us as readers in the first two verses and is saying that we need to look back to see how God spoke at first in order for us to understand what led up to his final word in Christ. Many of us struggle to understand the relationship between the Old and New Testament, but this is what it's for as readers to sense the coherent theme which anticipated all along the Savior, the old existing for the new, the the new existing to affirm the old, the whole entire time from Genesis to Revelation, it has only ever been about one person. Jesus Christ is the central figure to the story. God's word is not about our lives. It is about the life of Christ, and it is Christ's life that goes on to affect and shape ours. That's how you respect the word. God's audible voice has been spoken to the prophets in a small group of people over thousands of years and has only worked like this. The good news is that he still speaks. We're going to get there. How are you and me supposed to respond to somebody who comes out to us and says, God gave me a word? I got a word for you. Well, um, you could say, okay, thanks so much. I'd love to hear it. Um, Feel free to share. And that person can speak a word. And they're probably seeking to be sincere and love you. You don't have to debate them or seek to prove them wrong. You could just listen with caution and take God's word and all the things that you've hidden up in your heart from God's word and put it here and let that be your source of stability and firm foundation. We're open. We'll listen to a word. But the word is complete. That word must submit to this word that has been written and um, revealed in Jesus. Amen? I can't wait to show you now this, this Savior. This is where we're going. That was point number two, how God spoke in the Old Testament. I'd like to show you now how God speaks in the New. Um, before we move forward, I just want to let you know that here at our church, uh, we do believe in the, the voice of God speaking to people. Um, in fact, we believe that The role of the Holy Spirit at work in someone's heart and life is so crucial that without which there would be no possible way to follow Jesus. And so I say that to my brothers and sisters who have more of a charismatic bend. Um, We're going to get there. I'm going to try to clarify uh, that, but um, hang in, hang on there. Um, That's where we're going. One of the things that I mentioned um, to you in the first point was the tense of the word spoke in verse 1. But if you look there, you'll see how the author actually uses it again. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke past tense to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, there it is again. He has spoken to us by his son. This word here is not only past tense, but it's also complete. 
And so if God's word has been spoken to us through his son, the logical question that follows would then be, what exactly is this word that he has spoken? Well, the word that God has spoken through his son is one word, and that word is salvation. The author goes on in chapter 2, verse 1, to say this. Therefore, we must pay, pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape it if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God himself also bore witness. Chapter 3, therefore you who share in this heavenly calling, consider Christ. Chapter 4, let us therefore hold fast to our confession. Chapter 5, 6, all the way through 10, the message that the author gives to us in this book and seeks to convey is all about the message of the gospel to the saints in the church, referring to God's saving grace to them in Christ alone. In other words, Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the word in flesh. And in chapter 12, the author went on to say that his blood poured out on the cross also sp spoke a word. Do you want to know what that word was? Mercy. A merciful message of salvation where God's total and complete forgiveness is offered to us despite our sin and misery. This is the message of Christianity. It is it's not milk. It's filet mignon. It's meat. There is no other gospel than this. The mature don't graduate to something more spiritual or elevated. This is the gospel. God came in flesh to make atonement for his creation's sin. We primarily hear the voice of God by encountering the person and work of Jesus, and it is impossible to encounter the person and work of Jesus salvifically without a supernatural event. The Holy Spirit borning again a heart and creating a new person. Our salvation is actually supernatural. Which leads me to the, whole, the role of the Holy Spirit. Do you wanna know how Jesus spoke of the role of the Holy Spirit? He spoke of it pretty clearly and pretty plainly. John chapter 15, Christ said this, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and testify all about me. In other words, when the spirit works or speaks in someone's life or on their behalf, it always is for the in intention or purpose of turning their hearts towards Jesus. This is exactly what happened at Pentecost in the book of Acts. Do you remember um, the spirit was poured out on the people and they all began to babble nonsense? They weren't babbling nonsense. Tongues wasn't nonsense. Do you want to know what purpose it served? For those people, those teachers, to be able to speak in other languages to people who did not speak their own original language in order for them to hear the gospel in their own native tongue and be saved. That was the role of the spirit in the gift of tongues in the book of Acts. When Jesus did miracles in the Gospels, do you know why he did miracles? 
for people to see him and his beauty and for them to be saved. Not so they could just stop limping and get on their merry way. That would be destructive. Signs, miracles, and wonders were done through the apostles in the New Testament, and I emphasize the word apostles, and it was always for the purpose of turning the people's focus on Jesus. I say this because many of us come from vague spiritual backgrounds and and charismatic movements that have no gospel grit, that are not connected to humanity, but the gospel indeed is made for humanity. Emotional churches that value experience over the word. Experience is great. I hope that we get there. Churches that want new things, original things, rather than the original thing, the word. We want... We want to value the word. Some of you might say, well, James, doesn't the New Testament speak about prophecies? First Thessalonians, First Corinthians, doesn't it say not to despise prophecies? Absolutely it does. Um, there is some indeed some sort of new uh, prophecy in the New Testament, but I would call it small p-, p prophecy. Old Testament had big p prophecy. And the reason why I call it small p prophecy as inferior to the superior prophecy found in the Old Testament is that the prophecy that we find in the New Testament is subject to error and also the institution and, and, and authority found within the local church. It's uh, ultimately found in subject to God's completed word. Um, so again, when a person comes to you and says, God spoke to me, it's like, okay, great. I- I'm glad to hear that. But my orange flag goes up because this is a serious matter. And I'm thinking to myself before they speak, James, beware. They're not infallible, nor are they inerrant. They probably don't hear the voice of God infallibly as they think. They might be in tune with the Holy Spirit. But hide God's word in your heart. Does this word point to Christ? Does this word remind us of the glory of God? Is this word selfless and loving and kind? Is it about God's mission geared towards people? Is this person who claims to have a word open to discussion? Or is it case closed? I was on my cell phone this week. And uh, I've been, I've been uh, probably washing my cell phone too much. I've been on it too much. And I was, I was watching the video on my cell phone. It was a holistic video, an awesome video. I was, I was using my cell phone, and I thought to myself, I kind of felt something in my, in my, in my soul. I, I felt like, hey, put, put the phone down, James. That's what I felt. I, like, heard that voice kind of in my head and heart all at the same time, right? What was that? Was that God's voice speaking? Well, I, I think it was. Can I tell you why? Because in Galatians chapter 5, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is self-control. And self-control is godly. And when we kill our sin to practice holiness and spend time away from our phones with our children and wives and spouses, that is a God-honoring, glorious practice. It makes sense. Did you see the, did you see the line of interpretation I took to, un, to understand or validate that role of the Holy Spirit speaking in the heart? 
So you're, you're out this week, right? You're going to go buy a car. You're going to buy a, a Toyota or a Honda. You can't really figure it out. The question that you're not asking to yourself is, God, do I need a sign of a cross in the middle of a steering wheel in one of those cars to understand which car is for me? You're not looking for a sign that way. What you're doing rather is saying, God, I want to I make a holistic good decision. How can I use your word and the wisdom that it provides me to make the best decision knowing that you support me regardless? Do you see the gospel in humanity compared to the gospel of vague spirituality that actually means nothing? So you get into your, your, your neighborhood this, this, this week and you're coming home from work and you see your neighbors outside, ones that you haven't talked to in a while. And you know the mission of God in your heart, how you're supposed to live your life for the sake of others. And you feel something in your heart saying, go talk to that person. Is that the voice of God? Uh, most likely. Because you know the mission of God, how Christ calls you to be selfless and to reach your neighbor and practice neighbor love. God didn't tell you to go over to that person for no reason. That's not vague, that's vague spirituality. God sent you to that person to get to know them, to practice neighbor love. You could support that idea with the scriptures and be sure and certain with mature spirituality that the scriptures in partnership with the Holy Spirit are, are doing, speaking a work in you. Some of you have really bad experiences with the charismatic church. And it pains me. I just want to let you know that God doesn't want you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I know how much damage has been done in the name of the Holy Spirit. I know people use the word Holy Spirit and the scriptures ignorantly, and it ruins some people's faith. But we must not swing the pendulum for the sake of safety and cling to systematic theology and rationalism as if they're God. God is God. Theology is not God. Nothing can keep you safe but God. Dogmatism is not the gospel. There's nuance in this faith. Legalism is not spirit-led. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us on mission and follow Christ. One of my friends I, I started this faith walk with him in a church of 2,000. We were saved by Jesus, really. And when we were saved in a mega church. But then we got a hold of theology and started to read the Bible and we started to learn things. But you want to know what happened to my friend? Because he was hurt in a charismatic church that valued emotion over the word. He turned to a reformed freak. And he became skeptical and bitter, smoked cigarettes, drinks whiskey, curses. Some of those things I'm not here to condemn. I drink whiskey. I'm just saying his, his person changed. Like his, his conscience is not gentle. His spirit is not meek. He rationalizes everything. He lost the gospel, that childlike innocence that you get when you first become a Christian. Theology is meant to be a guiding way to God, but it is not God. We need both. We need the scriptures and the spirit to produce true spiritual maturity. There are few things in this Christian life and faith that are more important than hearing from God. Yes, there are countless examples of 
non-gospel, vague, charismatic oddities. Yes, it's okay to be skeptical, and I'd say even healthy at times, but abuse does not take away use. Did you know Martin Lloyd-Jones, D.L. Moody, and this Puritan named William Guthrie, in their faith walk with God over the years, reported experiences of being alone with God and the Holy Spirit falling on them during prayer in such a way that Martin Lloyd-Jones himself didn't leave his bedroom for three days? Lloyd-Jones said that. But the reformed uber-Christian who has forgotten the Spirit doesn't experience the Spirit. And they're dull. They've forgotten the power of the gospel. You're meant to experience the Holy Spirit. You're meant to experience God. He's, he exists to change you. He's a real person. He's living and active and breathing. And if you value emotions over the word, you are in grave danger. Forsake your emotions. Forget the performance. This is not a performance. This is an opportunity for us to behold the risen sun. The whole reason the New Testament church was gifted with signs, miracles, and wonders in the book of Acts was because God was establishing and thrusting out forward the New Testament church and the gospel to reach the nations. And if you read the New Testament scriptures over time, what you'll see is that these signs, miracles, and wonders slowly just start to fade away. They drift. They don't cease. There's no scriptures that say they cease, but they drift. Why would they drift and fade? Because the church was established. Because the gospel was found. The, the apostles' teaching was going out. And so hear me this morning. I'm saying if God has done supernatural things in your story, praise him for it. He actually does those things. But also hear me. That's not normative. What's normative is living as an ordinary human being, embracing a sovereign king and God. God is doing miracles all across the nations. We've got missionary friends in Africa, in Burma, in India, in closed countries, communist countries. You know what's happening there? Demons are being loosed. Miracles are being done. My friends in India are receiving dreams of Christ and becoming Christians. God is out on the mission field. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't work here. But we have this book. We have the book. God's complete word. It's complete. We have the book. We need nothing else. Value the gifts. Pursue the gifts. Do not despise the gifts, but even more, love God's incarnate, spoken, and written word revealed to us in Christ. It is all in this book, my brothers and sisters. Amen? I'd like to close our time today by showing you how he speaks to us today. We did the Old Testament, how God speaks. We did the New Testament, how God speaks. I want to talk about how he speaks to us today. If you look there in verse 3, the author continues to write concerning Jesus, and he says this, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprints of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Other translations say by the power of his word. The NIV actually says that he sustains all things by his powerful word. Genesis chapter 1, I spoke it to you before. God created nothing by the power of his word. In other words, with his word, Jesus speaks life and power into all things and nothing can survive or exist without it. 
And so what do you and I have before us this morning in this very book? The spoken and written word of God. What's the problem in our human dilemma as we consider our faith? Far too often we do not think about it as this. It just sits there in our nightstand and gets dusty. When life gets dull, filled with problems, or we want to grow, we just look for some sort of experience or emotional encounter. We forget that Second Peter says, God has given us this book, and in it we have all we need for life and godliness. Second Timothy chapter 3, the scriptures are enough to make us wise for salvation and holy unto God. One man said, if we think to ourselves, if only we can have something more than the scriptures. We think to ourselves, then we'd be really close to Jesus and know his love. Unless, of course, the finality of Jesus' redemption for us is intimately tied to the finality of his revelation given to us in his word. If only we can have an experience like the burning bush as Moses did. That's what we think to ourselves. But what the author is doing here in these first three verses is trying to give us a reverse perspective. If Moses only was given what we have today, that's what he's doing. We think if only we can have what Moses had, but you know what Moses would do if he saw the complete canon of scripture? He would say, if only I can have what they have. In the scripture, we have a documented perfect source of God breaking into the history of man, condescending to us and humbly dying on our behalf to give us salvation freely. This is the message of the gospel. This is spiritual maturity. You, it doesn't get any more spiritual or better than this. The Old Testament days are not the glory days. The New Testament are the glory days. And why are they the glory days? Because it is the age where we have the completed scripture and also the Holy Spirit poured out into the hearts of men, women, and children to be born again, to make this dead book without the Spirit come to life. That's what the Spirit does. It differentiated this book. This book is a, a book full of literature and authors and genres and literary devices and poetry and metaphors. You treat it as such. We study it as academics, but we do not ultimately embrace it as merely an academic book. We, we view it and embrace it as a book of life. The book of life contains the one who is life himself, Jesus Christ, and the one who is life himself brings dead souls to life by his spirit in partnership with the word of God. Dear Christian, as we close, I ask you a very crucial question. What difference is the Bible making in your life? Do you hear me? Spirit and body. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word spoken from the mouth of God. If you don't read the scriptures or study the word, you will spiritually die. 
if you want to grow, if you want to flourish, if you want hope, if you want to be redeemed, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be restored again, if you want a, a loving, effective, real relationship with God, get in the book. We all long to genuinely receive and experience a supernatural word from God. And by God's grace through Christ and his spirit living in us, this is what we have for us today. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. We don't read our Bibles enough. I confess it even of myself. But there's a Savior for that who never takes this book away from us, neither does he take away your Holy Spirit. And he gives to us a million and one chances. You never give up on us, Lord. All of our sin is totally taken from us through the merit and work of Jesus. And so we come to you this morning and we thank you for your perfect and complete word. Jesus, use it in our lives, we pray. We need you dearly. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.